at least I think I do, uh, before I sing, and so uh, we get to pick songs that go with the message, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning. Now, the Bible talks in uh, Jeremiah about the fact that, that he was marred in the hands of the potter, and the potter picked up the pieces and put them back on the wheel. Not necessarily what I want to talk about this morning, that's not the, that's not the exact passage that I want to uh, look at, but I believe this, this passage here in Acts chapter 9, and if you know anything about the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9 talks about the conversion of Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. And every time I read this story, I, I really stand amazed at the great grace of God. I see the Lord take this man, Saul, save him by his grace, transform him into a great apostle of the uh, to the Gentiles, and I realize that there's hope for people like you and me to be used by God. If God can take somebody like the Apostle Paul and use him in a great way, then God can take us and use us in a great way too. Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1, and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? I always thought that was interesting. You're asking somebody, it's like asking Jackson, Who are you, Jackson? Right? But that term that he's using there, Lord, is not a term of Jesus Christ, your God. It's, it's a term of, of, of respect for the unknown. It's like saying, Who are you, sir? Right? Who art thou, Lord, he says, and the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And I think it's interesting that the way that he uses Lord the second time is not just a term of reverence or respect. It's a name that he's using for Jesus Christ. What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, the truth is, Saul was a very unlikely candidate for the service of the Lord. Uh, he was a man who was feared and hated by the Christians, one who did everything in his power to destroy this way, as he says. God used him in such a great manner that Paul's ministry is still reaping fruit today. I mean, it's evidenced by the fact that we're reading about him. Not only did God use him in Paul's lifetime, but here, almost 2,000 years later, God is still using the ministry of the Apostle Paul. When we look at Paul, we may be tempted to think that he was some kind of super saint. You know, I mean, you see all kinds of uh, Catholic churches and Methodists and, you know, St. Paul's this and St. Paul's that. And, oh, here's this guy that's on another level that we'll never be able to reach. We may feel that there's no possible way that the Lord could use us like he did Paul or that God could even use us at all. I suppose that we all feel inferior. We all feel unworthy. Uh, to be used of the Lord in his work. But I'm here to tell you today that Jesus can and will use you if you allow him to use you. And he'll use you to the extent that you're willing to surrender for him to actually use you. The reason why we don't see God use us in great and mighty ways is not because God does not want to. It's because we're not surrendered to the point where he's able to and we're willi where we're willing to let him do that. Some of you may have asked the question before, can God really use my life? I want to answer that question today by taking a few minutes to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And by showing you the obstacles that seem to be in the way of his service, 
Obstacles that God had no problem in overcoming by his power and his grace. The simple answer, the short answer to your question is this. Yes, God can use your life. I want to take a couple minutes this morning to show you from these verses and others dealing with Paul's life and his ministry, why I say that God can really use your life. Let's pray. We'll look at a couple things here this morning. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be here in the service this morning. No doubt that you have something for us. There's no doubt that you have something that you want us to get from your word. And so I pray that you would fill me with your power. I pray that we would be open and our hearts would be ready to receive the word that you have for us this morning and that you'd speak to our hearts. And we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. Your past condition is no obstacle. Look at look what the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. I want you to look at a couple other passages. Turn over to Acts chapter 26. See, according to Paul's own testimony, he was guilty of doing everything in his power to put Christianity to death. And if you know anything about the story of the Apostle Paul, that's exactly where we find him. We're introduced to the Apostle Paul Right here in Acts chapter 9, when he is on his way to kill every Christian he can get his hands on. He says this in Acts chapter 22 and verse number 4. And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. That's a pretty serious thing. That's a pretty aggressive thing. Has any of you ever tried to arrest Christians and put them in jail? Has anybody ever brought a, a man or a woman to, to be put to death because they were Christians? I don't think any of us have gone that far yet, right? Look at Acts chapter 26, verse number 10. He says this, Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And, then, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. In other words, Paul was the one that was getting up and testifying against these Christians so they could be put to death. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. I know that you know the story of the Apostle Paul, but I want you to get, a, to get a picture of just how wicked Paul really was. And he has no problem telling us that. He said, uh, uh, you know, of, of sinners of whom I am chief, right? And Paul wasn't lying when he said that in a lot of ways. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was a murderer. He was a rebel against the Lord. Religiously, he was a man to be envied. He had great credentials. But internally, he was as wicked as any man who ever walked the face of the earth. In, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, you don't need to turn over there, but Paul, uh, Paul, or Saul, Saul, or Paul as he became, gave us his, uh, was, was there at the murder of Stephen. And Stephen is commonly known as the first martyr. He's the first one to die for his faith, the first one to die for standing up for the cause of Jesus Christ. And Paul was there, holding the coats of those who actually picked up those stones and threw them at Stephen as he took his last breaths. Paul was approving of his murder, and after that, he went on a murderous rampage, collecting and gathering anybody that he could and putting them in prison and then testifying against them so they could be put to death. Paul was a wicked man, but that proved to be no obstacle for the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. When Paul received Jesus Christ into his heart, he was changed forever by the grace of God. Let me tell you, every person 
under the sound of my voice today that your past is no obstacle to what Christ can and will do through you. Regardless of what you did before you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that doesn't matter anymore. And I think it's so interesting what the Bible says. And I, I want you, if you will, to turn over to Psalm 103. But when he saved your soul, he washed away your sins forever. There's not something that one day he's going to, oh, I needed some blackmail on this guy, so I'm going to pull up his past sins. I'm going to bring up what he used to be. It's just as though you got a brand new start at that moment that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and everything you did in your past is gone. There are three records of your past deeds in the world today. The first one is the record that you carry in your mind. I remember who I used to be. I remember what I was before I got saved. That's the first record. The second record is the record that's carried by all those who knew you before you got saved. I remember that guy. I can't believe he got saved. I remember Brother John telling me, uh, uh, we, we knew a guy that was, a, he's, he's passed away, but, but Al Molson, he was a Richmond police officer, and when Brother John was a Richmond police officer in the 80s, and I was telling him, I was around him, forget how I even brought the name up, but I mentioned the name, and he said, Al Molson? Was he a police officer? I said, yeah, he used to be in Richmond. That guy got saved? He said, he was one of the foulest guys that I knew on the department, and yes, he got saved, and God puts those things behind him, but that's a record right? What you did in your past, people still remember. And the third record is the record that's carried by Satan. And he's going to throw up your past in front of you all the time. He's going to remind you of who you used to be. And he's going to try to tell you, God cannot use your life because of what you used to be. But may I remind you today that even though I may remember my past, even though my friends and my family may remember my past, and even though Satan surely remembers my past, God has forgotten your past when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you became one of his children, he puts the past as far away from it as he possibly can. And the Bible says that in Psalm 103 and verse number 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Boy, I say this often, but there's a North Pole and you can find it, right? People have been there. There's a South Pole and you can find it. People have been there. But somebody show me where the East Pole is. Show me where the West Pole is. There is no east and west pole, and I don't think it was an accident that God said our sins are separated from him as far as the east is from the west, because you could start traveling in one direction and never stop, and you could start traveling in the other direction and never stop, and he separates our transgressions that far away from him so that he doesn't remember our sins and our iniquities. Turn over to Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. Boy, these are great verses, especially the devil is going to try to bring up your past. The devil's going to try to say, well, you lived all those years for yourself. You did all of this. You did all of that. God can't use you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God has put those sins as far away from him as he can. He says this in Isaiah chapter 38 and verse 17, a little later on in that verse. Thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Anybody got eyes in the back of their head? Sometimes we always felt like our parents did, right? But nobody's got eyes in the back of their head. You throw something behind your back, you can't see it anymore. And that's what God does with our sins. A couple pages over in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse number 25. He says this, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. When God says it, you can trust him. I'm, I can say that. I'm not, I promise you, I won't remember that anymore. But in the back of your mind, it's still there. And if you ever really needed it later on, you'd probably bring it up too, right? 
But when God says, I won't remember your sins, I will not remember your sins. You can trust him. You can know that, what he's, what, what, that when he's saying that, he believes it. We, we can believe it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn over there. I want you to see this one because this is so, uh, this is so good. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know what that tells me? That tells me that just about the worst possible thing that you could do, he listed all of it right there, and he says, but that's not you anymore. You were one of those things. You were a fornicator, idolater, adulterer, effeminate, abuser of mankind. You did this. You did that. But that was your past. Those are blotted out. Those are as far away from me as the east is from the west. Those are behind my back. Throughout the Bible, God uses people in spite of and often in the midst of their greatest failures. Simon Peter preached his greatest message after he had denied Jesus Christ three times. Moses was a murderer, but God used him for his glory. Samson sinned against God, and yet he slew more Philistines in his death than he did in his whole entire life. Abraham lied, but he was used of the Lord. Jacob was a deceiver, but the Lord transformed and used him greatly. I love this. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 17, he says, And their sins... And their iniquities will I remember no more. He's put them as far away as the east is from the west. There's a lot of others that we could name among those people. But these are sufficient to show that the Lord can take those who have failed in their past. He can put their past behind them. He can put their past behind him. He can blot out their transgressions. He can put them as far away as the east is from the west. And he can still use them for his glory today and into the future. Can God use your life? Absolutely. And your past condition is no obstacle. The second thing I want you to see back in Acts chapter 9 is this. Your present circumstances are no obstacle. Acts chapter 9, verse number 2. This is talking about Paul, obviously, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he be found, that, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. Saul did all this stuff in his past, Paul, but he was in the middle. He was in the middle of doing these things at that time. Paul was on his way to Damascus to find Christians to arrest and eventually put to, put to death. He was filled with hatred. He wanted nothing more than to completely destroy anyone or anything that was even remotely connected to the name of Jesus Christ. He was a religious zealot. He was a Jew. He didn't want anything to do with this Christ. He didn't want anything to do with the Christianity. Yet in spite of all of that, the Lord was able to change this man and use him for the glory of God. May I remind you that you can have the same thing in your life. He can do the same thing for you. He can take us with all the baggage that we carry and use us for his glory. We all bring certain liabilities to the table, right? Some people are maybe not edu as educated as others. Some you know, have very few resources. Others may be weak in the faith or honestly things that we could help. Our arrogance, our pride gets in the way. We don't have all the things that we can bring to the table, but I want to remind you that the Lord is able to take us exactly where we are, 
change us into his image and use us for the glory of God. It's exactly what he did with the Apostle Paul. Again, the Bible is filled with all kinds of stories. Moses was 80 years old when the Lord called him out of the middle of that wilderness to go lead his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. 80 years old. I'm, I can't do that. My present circumstances, I'm 80 years old. I can't do that, God. And God sent that burning bush and called Moses. Called him to the place where God could really use him. He had other problems as well. He wasn't very eloquent. He was filled with fear. He tried to pass it off onto everybody else that he could get. He wanted Aaron to go in his place. But despite all of that baggage, God was able to use this man for his glory. Think about the maniac of Gadara in Mark chapter one, uh, Mark chapter 5. I'm not going to take the time to read through all of that, but you know the story. Here's this man wandering through the tombs, cutting himself. They tried to bind him with chains, and he broke the chains. They, didn't have any, they, they couldn't do anything with this man. He was feared by everyone. But the Lord was able to take this man who had caused so much trouble and able to, able to use him as a witness. Not just that he got saved, he became a witness for the glory of God. God took him where he was and he used him for his glory. And when they saw, man, that was the guy that used to wander around in the tombs. That was the guy that used to cut himself. That was the guy that used to break the chains. That was the guy that used to run around naked. And now look what God's done with him. God took that man in his present circumstances and he used him for the glory of God. What I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that your present circumstance did not catch the Lord by surprise. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter what you're going through. The Lord knows it. It didn't catch him unaware. It didn't catch him by surprise. He knows everything there is to know about you. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 13 says this, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Right? He sees everything. He knows everything. We're not catching him by surprise. He knows where you are. Job chapter 23 and verse 10 says, But he knoweth the way that I take. He can still use your life if it's yielded to him for his glory. The secret is in being completely surrendered to him. Well, God can't use me. He can, but will you allow him to? Can God use your life? Absolutely. And your past condition is no obstacle. Your present circumstances are no obstacle. Number three, I want you to see this and turn back over to Acts chapter 9, and verse number 11. Your personal characteristics are no obstacle. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto him, arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight. He's talking to Ananias. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. See, Paul was feared by the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, the followers of that way. He was feared by them because who, who knows if the Apostle Paul really got saved or not or if he's just using this as a ploy to get inside so he can find out who we are and arrest and kill us all. They didn't trust him. They didn't know what was going on. And his conversion was seen by many as nothing more than a way to find out who really was Christian and who was not. In fact, when he went to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, Barnabas had to go in and introduce him and convince them to let him come inside. Convince them that, yes, he really was changed, but God was able to come to, to overcome that hurdle and use Paul in a great way. 
If you take time to look at Paul's life, you'll find that he was a man with a lot of personal characteristics that, that seemed to be unfavorable to his success. Now, for the sake of time, you don't need to turn over there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse number 10, it says this, For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech contemptible. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 6, But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been throughly made manifest among you in all things. Paul had a lot of personal hurdles to get over. There's a lot of people who say that Paul had very bad eyesight. A lot of people who say that Paul was a small, little, scrawny guy who couldn't walk very well. You would never know that by looking at how the Lord used the Apostle Paul, right? But think about all the things that he endured for the cause of Jesus Christ, all the persecution that he went through. But God was able to use him in spite of what was wrong with him physically. And there's a lot of people who will use that as an excuse. Well, I'm too shy, or I'm not good enough, or there's no way that God can use my life. Do you know what I do every day? Yeah, there's a lot of characteristics that we look at and say, there's no way that God could ever use us in this capacity or in that capacity. But God wants to use you, and God will use you in spite of your personal characteristics if you just allow him to. If we get into the business of comparing ourselves with others, then we're in for a rough ride. Well, I'm not as polished as that person. Well, I'm not as, you know, I'm not as spiritual as that person, or I'm not as educated as that one, or I'm not as wealthy as that one, or I have all these excuses why I can't do it. I'm not as good as fill in the blank. When you start comparing yourself to other people, you're in for a long ride. God's not looking for you to see how you compare to everybody else. He's looking to see how willing you are to be used by him where you are. Many of us have personal characteristics that make us feel like we can't be used effectively by God. I want to remind you that God can take that thing that we consider to be a weakness, and he can use us anyway. Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. When you see yourself in your weakness, that's when God can really use you. Because when we think, oh, I'm strong, I'm, I'm this, I'm that, God, there's no way that God's not going to use me. That, that's a hindrance. That gets in the way. But when I'm saying, oh, God, I, I can't. I can't be used by you. Look at this. Look at that. How can you use me? He wants to take those things and say, look, I know you feel weak. I know you feel like you can't do this, but you surrender to me, I'll use you in a, only, in a way that only I can. Look again in the pages of the word of God. Find proof of that. We already mentioned Moses, but God took this old man with a speech impediment and used him to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land that they've been looking forward to for hundreds and hundreds of years. God used a young Jew Jewish girl named Esther to save his people from slaughter. But I'm just, a young, I'm just a young girl. What can I do? Surrender to God. Let him use you. God used a young, unknown boy named David to be the greatest king to ever sit on the throne of Israel. But I'm just a boy. How can God use me? Surrender. Just surrender, David. I'll use you in ways you never thought possible. We'll start by killing Goliath. We'll start by having javelins thrown at you. We'll start by putting you in caves where you can hide out. But you keep surrendering, and I'll use you in a great way. God used a beggar named Lazarus to preach daily a sermon to a rich man. Ah, oh, you're just a beggar, Lazarus. What good can you possibly do for God? You're sitting outside that rich man's gate. Look how God's blessing him, and look what he's done to you. You've got sores all over you. The dogs come and lick your sores. God can't use you. But God says, yes, I can, Lazarus. 
You just keep surrendering to me. I'll use you. One day you'll be in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man's going to look up to you. God used 12 unknown men, known as the apostles, various stages of life, all different backgrounds, all different work uh, resumes. And God used them in a great way. I said all that to say this, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you came from, regardless of what problems you have, regardless of what personality quirks you think you might have, God can and will use you if you'll make yourself available to him and to his work. God has all kinds of people in his service. Deaf, blind, ugly, scrawny, doesn't matter. There have been people that I've looked at over the years and I thought, how in the world did God use them? I'll tell you why. Because they were surrendered. Because they were willing to do whatever it was that God wanted them to do. And God said, I don't care if you're ugly. I don't care if you're scrawny. I don't care if you're poor. I don't care if you're this or that. You're surrendered. I'll use you. All he's looking for is those who are willing to serve him. Are you one of them? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to see this lastly. Your past condition is no obstacle. Your present circumstances are no obstacle. Your personal characteristics are no obstacle. And lastly, your private concerns are no obstacle either. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7, Paul says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I've already touched on this, but God was able to use the Apostle Paul in spite of all his physical limitations. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 10, Paul said that his weakness guaranteed him greater strength. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That's one of those paradoxes in the Bible, right? He who loses his life will gain it. He who keeps his life is going to lose it, right? When you're weak, that's when you're strong. doesn't make sense to us. But when we see ourselves as not being able to do anything without the power of Jesus Christ on us, that's when God can really use us. And then and only then will he be able to take our lives that we think are unusable and from the world's perspective, maybe they are, but God wants to use us, and it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. You, you look at Paul, and, and, and you might look at yourself as being weak. You might look at yourself as being unable to do much for the cause of Christ, but the truth is, God doesn't need us to be strong and be able to stand on our own two feet. God needs us to be weak. God needs us to be reliant completely on him. God needs us to be surrendered to him, and that's it. He'll take a life that most people would think God could never do anything with that person and change it and transform it into something that is a tool so strong and so powerful for the cause of Jesus Christ. God's not looking for spiritual powerhouses. He's looking for people who have nothing more than faith and a desire to cling to the Lord. And when you have that, he has you exactly where he needs you to be. We look back in the Bible and we can find all the times when God took the weak and used them in a great way. Hannah, she wanted a child and she turned to the Lord in desperation. 
God gave her a son that was destined to lead the nation of Israel spiritually. Daniel was just a teenage boy when he took a stand for the cause of Jesus Christ. All because Daniel was totally yielded to the Lord. He became second in command of the kingdom. Mary, just a young girl, when God asked her to carry the Messiah. What reproach she lived under. But she was willing to be surrendered to God. I know it's going to bring me reproach. I know some people are not going to like it. I know it's going to look weird to the world. But God, if that's what you want, then I'll do it. And look what God did through Mary. Some of you fight depression. You fight other battles, loneliness, feelings of inferiority. Some people keep the, the wickedness of days gone by at the forefront of their minds. You feel so inadequate to do the Lord's work. Whatever name your particular weakness may carry, it can be an obstacle if you allow it to be. We can put anything in the way. Anything can be a roadblock. Well, I've got this, and so I'm just going to have to wait until I can get through this for God to use me. No, surrender to him now. Give it to him now. To the Lord, that problem is nothing. He can take you in the midst of your weakness and still use you to confound the strongest of those around you. He can take your life and make it an inspiration to everyone that you come into contact with. Look at the Apostle Paul. Oh, weak little blind old man. And yet, God used the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. God took a man that, if you looked at him from the outside, everybody probably would have thought, how in the world did God use that? But Paul was surrendered. The key and the secret to this whole message lies in that one word, surrender. Are you totally surrendered to the Lord and to his will for your life? Can God use your life? Absolutely he can. But let me give you a couple questions as we close. Number one, are you really saved? I'm not asking if you're good. I'm not asking if you're baptized. I'm not asking you if you're a church member. Are you truly saved? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Until you do, you'll never be able to be used by God. But are you fully surrendered? Is your all on the altar? Well, I'm mostly surrendered. I've given up God most of these areas in my life. I'm not asking you if you've given up most. Is your all on the altar? God, you can have everything. There is nothing that I'm keeping that I won't give up. Are you available for him to use? Is your life so cluttered with everything that you do that there's nowhere for the Lord to get in and use you? A lot of us stay busy, stay very busy. And sometimes that busyness pushes out our usefulness. Are you willing to be used by the Lord? Because I can promise you this, he's not going to force you to make him use you. He's not going to force it on you. He may make you wish you had, but he's never going to force you into anything. He gives us that free will, that choice. Are you going to serve me or are you going to serve yourself? Because those are really the only two choices that it comes down to. You, you have to come to the place where you're willing to let the Lord use you. challenge every person in this auditorium this morning to examine your heart. 
Are you fully surrendered to God? Fully surrendered through salvation, but fully surrendered for God to use you wherever you are. Because I can promise you that to God, nothing is an obstacle to him. Doesn't matter what you did in your past. Doesn't matter what your circumstance is now. Doesn't matter how weak you feel like you are. God wants to use you if you'll surrender and let him. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the fact that weak and feeble as we are, you want to use us. What a tremendous, tremendous privilege. But what a tremendous responsibility we have as well. Oh, the things that you have for those who love you, who are surrendered to you. Can only imagine how many things we've missed out on in the way of blessings, in the way of usefulness, because of times when we were not surrendered. Because of times when we allowed our past to overtake our present and our future. Times when we allowed the present circumstances to overtake the ability of the Lord to work in and through our lives. Father, forgive us. Forgive us where we fail you. And help each one of us in this room this morning to be completely surrendered, to be used however you want to use us for the glory of God. We thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're still struggling with whether or not Jesus Christ is your Father, if you're struggling with whether or not You'd go to heaven when you die. Why don't you get that settled today? What a perfect day. Today. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today's a perfect day to accept Jesus Christ if you've never done that. But if you have, and I pray that every person in this room knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, and if you do, are you surrendered? Is God using you to the full capacity of how he wants to use you? Or is he limited because you won't surrender? Is he limited because you're holding back? As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come this morning. If you need to be saved, you step out of your seat, you come forward this morning and you let one of us take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you'll be saved. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't put that off. If you need to surrender to the Lord this morning, then you, you do that.
Amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning, and uh, it's a good thing we have a piano on the stage and pulpit and all that stuff, or the auditorium might have tipped backwards. I'm sure, I'm, probably if you're looking, I don't, I, I don't know exactly, Brother Josh, you can probably see it. I bet it looks like there's about five people in here today, huh? The, the way that it looks on the live stream, but thank you for coming. I do appreciate it. Let me remind you of something. Um, Tuesday is election day, and it's very, very, very important that you get out and vote. And um, I'm not going to tell you which candidate to vote for, but I will say this. Um, you should never, ever vote for a candidate who is in favor of abortion, who is promoting homosexuality and all the things that the Bible is against. Um, and if you don't vote, then not only do you not get, get to complain about the problems, but you are responsible for what, what happens in this country. You have a responsibility as a citizen of this country and as a Christian to vote people into office who are going to do things that line up with the word of God. And I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat or anybody else. If they were for abortion, I would never vote for them. I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. If they're for homosexuality. I'm not going to vote for them. Those are things that are that are hard and fast in the Bible. And, um, you know, we, I voted already. I voted early. My wife and I, I think, what day did we go over and vote on Monday, I think. And thankfully, because there was only like two cars in front of us. I don't know what it's going to be like on, on uh, Tuesday. But make sure you get out and vote. Make sure you get out and do it. Um, things are looking up, but that's not, there's no guarantee. So make sure you get out there and do it. And uh, put it in your calendar now while you're thinking about it. So you get a reminder at 6 o'clock in the morning. Go vote. Go vote. And uh, make sure you do it. All right. As soon as we get done here, if we can, uh, kids, you guys pick up all the songbooks out of the um, chairs and stack them up right out there in the little foyer right there. And then any of the men, and you know how to stack these chairs so they stay in the same rows and everything else. But if we can get you to help push everything back and uh, maybe bring in some tables and chairs and stuff like that as well, that'd be a big help. All right. Let's pray. We'll sing our song and we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Give me thank you so much for how good you are to us. Thank you for the blessing of being able to be here in your house this morning. Pray that you'd send us away from here with your blessing. Give us a good time of fellowship together as a church tonight. We'll thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Each one can reach one. As we follow after Christ, we all can lead one. We can lead one to the Savior. your